Welcome to the Wisdom and Wealth Podcast, a series of conversations designed to equip you, our listener, with the helpful insights necessary to simplify the critical decision points of life. I'm Josh Clues, a wealth advisor with Carson Wealth here in the Woodlands, Texas. I believe my calling in this life is to enable others to fulfill their own calling by helping them harness their financial wealth to their purpose in life. Please join me each week for market thoughts, planning ideas, and most importantly, intangible balance sheet discussions, which highlight the importance of all those things money can't buy and death can't take away. Investment advisory services offered through CWM, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Welcome in again to another of our intangible balance sheet uh, conversations for the Wisdom and Wealth podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Josh Clues, uh, the moderator of the discussion. And uh, today I have the distinct pleasure of uh, introducing John McConnell to you. For those of you that may be newer to our uh, conversations, the intangible balance sheet is titled such because I believe that everyone has a a, a list and a compilation of first principles by which they've lived their life. In some cases, these are passed on to us by our parents, our grandparents. Um, but uh, the reason they're intangible is because we we can't quite put them into words, but we live our lives by them. They, they don't find their way their way onto a financial balance sheet in any way, shape, or form, but they definitely have financial value even though they can't be quantified. I believe that these, as I said before, these uh, principles are passed on to us, but they come to life in, via stories. And so that those are the, the uh, things that, that bring them to life and, and make them most accessible. And we want to capture them through these conversations. And so John has agreed to come on and share a little bit more about his story um, and his intangible balance sheet. John, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Josh. Good to see you and glad to be part of it. The pleasure is ours as always. And so, John, briefly, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners uh, at a high level before we, we dive into your personal story? Sure. My name is John McConnell. I have known the host of this podcast for, I think, something like 15 years. Yeah. Uh, I am an executive speechwriter, uh, right, mainly for uh, executives in the private sector, but much of my background is in politics and for Eight years, I was on the White House staff as a senior speechwriter to President George W. Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney. Prior to that, uh, I uh, worked for a number of different people who were in public life, including Vice President Dan Quayle during and after his vice presidency, and also Senator Bob Dole the year he was the Republican nominee for president. Uh, I am a lawyer by training, and I grew up in a town called Bayfield, Wisconsin, which is uh, a village, an old fishing village of about 500 people on the south shore of Lake Superior. It's got to be pretty. Uh, is winter your favorite time of year or is spring or summer your favorite time of year up there? Uh, spring and fall. Okay. are my favorite times of year up there. Winter uh, is where character is formed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Summer is um, a very nice couple of days, and so we really enjoy it up there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, and thank you so much for, for that 
uh, introduction, John. So w- one of the ways that I found is most helpful to start off these conversations is um, tying in our background and our upbringing. Um, are there any stories that come to you from your grandparents that are pivotal to your family? Well, you know, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, didn't talk much about herself, but over time, uh, you could draw her out. And she, when she was 17 years old, uh, in the depths of the Great Depression, the deepest part of the Great Depression, uh, she uh, went through a 600-hour course in an institution called the uh, Minneapolis School of Beauty Culture. And she came out of that knowing how to do hair and nails. And she heard about a job in a place called Ashland, Wisconsin. And so she got on a bus and went to this town called Ashland, a place she'd heard of uh, maybe, but certainly had never been to in her life and stepped off this bus in the dark, carrying uh, in a bag all she owned. And from there, she started her life and lived out her years uh, with her own little beauty shop that she owned, raised her family, and uh, made her own way in the world and lived on her own terms. And uh, uh, that uh, is an influence on me because uh, if you think about it, most people in the United States have stories like that in their background. We have, we come from immigrants. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation American. And so I, I don't have any kind of a, of a real immigrant story. Uh, but, and grandmother of course, wasn't an immigrant either, but, um, she was a person who, um, really didn't have any advantages in life other than her own determination to go on. And, um, uh, and, that was pretty much all she needed was that determination. And um, in that town, of course, my grandfather, who she met in that town and started a family with, he was the grandson of an immigrant builder who had come from England. This would be my great, great grandfather who lived a long time, uh, died uh, uh, a few years before I was born, but uh, my first five siblings got to uh, meet him or four of my first four of my five siblings got to got to meet him uh, he had taken a train from the Twin Cities to northern Wisconsin and um, there was a stop at one point along the way and he got out of the train and he uh, missed the train when it left for the next stop and so he stayed where he was and that started his uh and that's where he started his life. Uh, none of us is a nobody. We all come from people who had less than we had, uh, who lived their lives uh, doing what they felt they had to do. And in most cases, giving their best to their family. In most cases, whether or not they were material, materially successful, they at least did that. And that's why we're here. And um, as I say, I don't have any famous or notable people in my background, but everyone I've met, including I got to know my great grandparents, uh, uh, I looked up to them and I admired them. And 
respected the lives that they led in times that uh, were very different from ours and 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 at certain points were extremely difficult for them. Hmm. The, the word that keeps coming to mind as you describe your grandparents is initiative, right? Um, I remember being an infantry officer and one of our instructors said, if you want to see what separates Americans from every other culture across the world, it's initiative. He said, we, we can give you a little bit of guidance and you'll do the best you know how with what you've got, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember my dad uh, was born... <laughs> Uh, in 1927, and he was a soldier in the army uh, uh, when he was just out of high school. And he he told about Christmas during the Great Depression. His Christmas present was a pair of shoestrings and an orange. Mm-hmm. And he was a little boy, and they were on a farm in Central Michigan. And um, that's a very good point you made. My dad didn't look at that and think. Well, this is what life is. He probably looked at that and thought, this is what life is now. But my parents are doing their best, and someday I'm going to do more, and I'll do more for my children. And it's, it's a great story. Um, and uh, uh, that, that personal element of initiative and, A, knowing that if you give it your best, um, there will be good results is an, is a very American concept. You know, um, it's, it's, uh, there's that old show, the honeymooners that was on TV back in the fifties and you can still see it online. And the guy is Ralph Cramden and he's the bus driver and they don't have much. They don't even have curtains in their apartment, but he's convinced that he's going to hit it big one of these days mm-hmm. and big success and the big house there just around the corner and it never quite happens for him, but he never gives up. And there's a, there's a lot of that in the, uh, in the American bloodline, I think. Yes. Well, about it a lot. Of course, so much of this country, so much of the country is descended from people who made very difficult journeys. Just mm-hmm. part of the story. Yep. And, and we're, we're so grateful for that too. Now, yeah. John, as you think about your, your life personally, um, even your, the, the paths that led you to law school and so on and so forth, what were some of the, the influences on you at, at an early age that start that you look back on and say, Hey, those were formative experiences, formative ideas, uh, formative culture shapers that, that you look back on or are thankful for. You know, I always, uh, felt, uh, without even realizing it, I understood that I was surrounded by encouragers that was just built mm-hmm. into me. There were, there were adults around me who were encouraging my interests. I think about, uh, my mother, uh, uh my father, my stepfather, of course, uh, uh, teachers in the school. We were in a small town. Uh, but I remember every teacher, I ever had. And I remember a lot about them. Uh, I was just fortunate to, uh, to have very good teachers uh, who uh, encouraged me along the way. And I, um, I, I always had this sense of possibility and purpose. Um, and uh, I, I, I always felt driven forward by 
teachers. Uh, growing up in a small town, um, that's a great thing too because um, uh, it's it's kind of a cliche when people talk about small town values, but um, there's a, a lot of truth in it. When everybody knows everybody, uh, there is uh, there is sort of built into you um, uh, these notions of uh, respecting other people, regardless of whether they agree with you on one thing or another. You're you you are a community, and um, there's 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 nothing about differences that that uh, should really uh, divide you from others. Uh, 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 not just respect, uh, also uh, helping out others. Uh, mm-hmm. I, could, I, I could go on and on about how something, some terrible thing would befall a family in 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 our community. It would it would it would be everybody's concern, and it would be what people are talking about. And uh, uh, and so when. When I when I hear the phrase "small town values," if I hear it from someone who I think really knows what they're talking about, uh, I also know that it's true. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. it was a great place to be a kid. Uh, it's not necessarily not necessarily the real world back then. We didn't lock the front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's that way anymore or anywhere, but that was the way it was then. So times change, but. I'll, I'll bet anything that it's still a really terrific place to live. Mm. Now, as you, I, I, this is a little bit of a detour, but I would imagine given the field that you're in, there are certain books that you look back on and you're like, man, I'm so glad I read that. Um, are there any books that stand out to you when you were growing up that influence the writer that you are today? I'm just curious. Well, that's a good question. Uh, I've always been a, been a reader of history and biography, and I started on that early. Um, uh, my mom gave me a, a book about the presidents of the United States when I was little, and she did that because she noticed that I had been looking at a book about Abraham Lincoln that she had in the house. Uh, I grew up in a house with books, books and music, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, and. Uh, uh, my, my, my folks are both big readers and she noticed that I was responding to this book about Lincoln. And so she got me a book about the presidents when she saw it in a, in a bookstore. Well, that really, uh, uh, was like, like putting a match to a pile of dry leaves that, that really sparked my imagination and my interest. And, uh, uh, there was a librarian in our public school named Marie Bushy. And she was one of the great teachers uh, that I think back on. And Mrs. Bushy was so patient with me. And, and I remember I would tell her about the things I was interested in and she would take me in. And I can still remember uh, 921 was the Dewey Decimal System number for biography. And so, <laughs> <laughs> to this day, just the other day, I was over at the public library here in Arlington, Virginia, uh, wandering around in the biography section. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I would go through phases where I would be reading about this person or that person. Harry Truman was an early favorite. Uh, Lincoln, of course, was always an early favorite. Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, but, um, I, um, 
And then, of course, when I'm getting my education, then I go to college and I, I start reading Shakespeare. I guess we read some Shakespeare in high school. And um, and that kind of awakened in me just a just a um, a real love for uh, uh, for for his work. And then Charles Dickens is another favorite of mine. Um, uh, matter of fact, I'm reading Great Expectations right now. And um, so I kind of toggle back and forth between my uh, my enthusiasm for history and biography and uh, and then trying to read. Someone gave me good advice once. They said, you know, um, you uh, uh, a book that's been in print for 150 years is probably a good book. And so leave yourself some time to read the, the classics. They're mm-hmm. they're classic for a reason. And if you haven't read them, you should read them. And, um, and so also, um, uh, another piece of good advice I got was from Bill Crystal, who was uh, vice president Quail's chief of staff, hired me as a speechwriter. He said, there's so much transitory material nowadays. He said, you really need to make sure you allow plenty of time to read people's best work. That is a book, something between hard covers, something that's been edited, <laughs> something that's been really gone over and thoroughly and, 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 and carefully put together because you could spend all of your reading time just, you know, reading people's, um, you know, instant reactions to the daily news and whatever. And sometimes you learn something and other times you're just getting, um, thin, ill-considered, um, uh, mm-hmm. visceral, uh, reactions. So I'm, I'm, I'm veering off to the question no. about, I, I, um, uh, uh, that, that, that book about Lincoln was the first and, and really still is a defining book in my life. It was called the Prairie years and the war years by Carl hmm. Sandberg. Hmm. I'm, I'm glad I asked though. Sorry for the, the diversion, but <laughs> I, I figured there, there had a, a man of words would, would remember, um, <laughs> <laughs> and have memories of, of, of such a thing. Now, John, I want you to think three or four generations from now. You know, to start out, we 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 zoomed backwards three three or four generations. I want you to zoom three or four generations forward. What are some of those pivotal events of your life um, and some of the principles that guided you through those events that you feel would be um, most helpful for people? two, three, maybe even four generations from now? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, if you're, if you look at life in terms of pivotal events, um, the death of my father was a pivotal event that I was 13 years old and, and, um, he was diagnosed with a very late stage, um, very fast moving esophageal cancer and, he was, he was gone within five or six weeks. So that very fast, he was, uh, in his late forties and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't have some, <laughs> I didn't have a Dickensian childhood or anything like that after my father dies. And that was, you know, I, um, uh, have a great mom and stepfather and, and our, 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 our family is, is, uh, we, we've been very, very fortunate in, in our lives. Uh, but that, you know, when that happens when you're 13, uh, in my case, 
it was just a, a, a tough early lesson that life uh, can be short and um, and you're not the one in charge of it. Uh, and if you're if 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 this happens to you, at least in my case, again, you never take for granted your family ever again. So that, that, uh, I count as a turning point. Uh, I counted as a turning point, turning point when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, uh, n- not that I'm some, some, anyone's exemplar of, 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 of the saintly life or anything like that. But, but just that moment when you come to the understanding that your relationship with God is a personal one and that your life has a purpose and you're here for a reason and you were purchased for a price. Um, I mentioned the book that my mother got for me about uh, the presidents, uh, definitely a turning point in, in, in my life, just because uh, uh, a perceptive parent helped de- continue me in on in um, in uh, a direction that she could see would probably be a good one. Uh, you know, another point I'd like to make, Josh, and I'll, I know you agree with this. Every good friendship you make is a pivotal point in your life. It really is. And um, I mentioned the, uh, I mentioned that I'm reading Great Expectations at the end of one of the early chapters, uh, the character is talking about uh, 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 a, a very important day in his life. And here's the last paragraph of the chapter. I saved it because I knew you and I were going to be talking. Here's how he concludes the chapter. That was a memorable day to me, for it made great changes in me. But it is the same with any life. Imagine one selected day struck out of it. And think how different its course would have been. Pause you who read this and think for a moment of the long chain of iron or gold, of thorns or flowers that would never have bound you, but for the formation of the first link on one memorable day. And um, we we all have uh, great friends in our lives, people who've meant a lot to us and, and, uh, I could tell you about a couple special mentors, uh, uh, but uh, each one of those people, that meeting, just think about if you hadn't met that person, how different mm-hmm. your life would have been. Maybe dramatically different, maybe different in a small way, but I, I really, I really count the formation of a strong friendship to be uh, a blessing and definitely a turning point. Mm. Very apt um, admonition for our our community at large today. Just the the more desegregated we become, as far as uh, in you know, from a a community, or I guess segregated we come. You know, there's not as much community. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, And so the, the the friendships that spontaneously come from going to work, going to church, going to school, all of those different um, structures and institutions that just naturally cause us to interact. It um, 
and I think we even may think that uh, friendship can be something that that has to be uh, brought up over a period of years. It could be even just be spontaneous. Um, yeah, so. that's right. That's right. Um, the the next piece that I'd like to to uh, look at, John, also is what some people would call your ethical will, but also your eulogy. Um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that. Uh, whether we've written our eulogy or not in our heads, we kind of have an idea of what we hope is included in our eulogy. Um, so I'm curious what some of the, th- some of the things that um, you would want included in your eulogy as it stands today with, you know, obviously Lord willing, there's much, much to be written going forward. Right. 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 Other than he lived longer than anybody we know. <laughs> um, no, that's a, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, uh, but you know, as a speechwriter, I've written a lot of eulogies, mm-hmm. uh, for public figures and for, uh, people who aren't necessarily public figures, but were, who were asked to speak. Uh, and I have spoken at a number of funerals, uh, and memorial services over the years. Uh, and one thing I notice is, uh, when you're remembering someone in a eulogy, uh, and we've all heard plenty of them, the ones that list that list titles really don't do much. Mm-hmm. A real remembrance talks about qualities, the qualities of the person. And the titles might have been impressive. They might have been very impressive. They might have been unique. Uh, and they have their place. But that's not what people would talk about in, in the last analysis. It's not the titles, it's the qualities. And uh, in my own case, you know, I would I uh, obviously leave it to others and you hope you hope you were remembered for 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 doing right by people. I I I because I've uh, in my life encountered so much encouragement. I would hope to be remembered myself as an encourager. Uh, I try to do that. Uh, I, from my own experience, encouragement counts for a lot. Uh, a friend of mine, Reverend, the Reverend Randall O'Brien, one of the wisest men I know, uh, he said, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, has a story. So why not be the good guy in their story? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and I that, that, that's uh, you talk about aspiration. That's a pretty good aspiration. And uh, if that's your general uh, mindset uh, to be an encourager of others, uh, uh, that's that's going to count for a lot. I I also would like to be remembered as a person who could be relied on. Well, if he told you he was going to do it, guess what? He did it. Um, I think that. Uh, uh, it's, 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 it's very simple, but, but, uh, there's something in me that wants to be, uh, the person people can count on. Hmm. John, thank you so much for your insights and just for sharing, uh, your gleaned wisdom with us. Uh, there anything else that we should cover before, before we sign off today? Well, you know, um, uh, when we were talking, uh, before going on the air, uh, when um uh when we when we when we look when we look at life as it's lived and 
and um, the people we encounter along the way and the lessons we learn. Uh, I think about two very important people who I was fortunate to encounter early in my career. And uh, the one was, uh, uh, I, had a, I had a job in college. I worked two summers in a, in a savings and loan and did all kinds of different, different uh, uh, jobs in the savings and loan. And I worked for a branch manager. His name was uh, Mike Metcalf. And uh, he became a very close friend and his whole family, you know, just this, this lifelong friends. Uh, and the second person I want to mention is a federal judge named J. Daniel Mahoney, who was a judge on the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit in New York City. And right after graduating from Yale Law School, right after I went to Judge Mahoney's chambers as uh, a law clerk, which is a, a one-year position. And what you do in that job is you you write memos for the judge uh, on upcoming cases. You help him in the drafting of opinions. You travel with him to New York City for the oral arguments, and and you just uh, 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 do a, a perform a variety of tasks that uh, assist the judge in his work. And I mentioned the two of them, and I tie them together with this one uh, uh, overarching memory that applies to both, and that is, I never heard Mike Metcalf. Dan Mahoney talk about how to do the right thing or talk about what integrity means or try to hold forth on, on how to be a good person. They just did it. They showed it in how they conducted themselves. And like I said, I, I got to know them both very well. And um, sorry to say Judge Mahoney is, is no longer living, but Mike, of course, is still around. Got to know them both very well in the professional and the personal context. And, um, uh, and, and each of them is, to me, a model, a perfect model of integrity. Again, not holding forth, not listing lessons, just showing how it's done. And I'm very grateful to have had influences like that so early in my career. Um, uh, and uh, and they're, they're definitely standouts. Even, even as the years go by, it, it, uh, it, my appreciation uh, only grows. John, thank you again for, for sharing and thank you for the experiences that uh, we can now learn from. Um, we wish you and, and your family nothing but truth, beauty, and goodness in the road ahead and look forward to having our paths cross again sh soon, okay? Thank you, Josh. Really enjoyed talking to you. You as well. Thank you again for joining us. We trust that this time has left you better equipped to steward both your wealth and your financial resources. May you and your family find truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in the Wisdom and Wealth podcast by Josh Clues are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. 
To determine what may be appropriate for you, please consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. The guests on the Wisdom and Wealth podcast are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services are offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Please know that converting from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA is a taxable event. A Roth IRA offers tax-free withdrawals on taxable contributions. To qualify for a tax-free and penalty-free withdrawal on earnings, a Roth IRA must be in place for at least five tax years. The distribution must take place after age 59 and a half or due to death, disability, or a first-time home purchase of up to $10,000 lifetime maximum. Depending on state law, Roth IRA distributions may be subject to state taxes. Our local address is 1780 Hughes Landing, Suite 570, Woodlands, Texas, 77380.